1: Remember what you said you return that I might live In my Father's
2: house And I believe that this is of the utmost importance today in the church. Because I think too many of our decisions, too many of our interests, too many of our thinkings, are centered, as I mentioned before, on numbers and size and organization. We sure like facts and figures, but the paramount issue in the church should remain
0: the purity of its doctrine. Do you know if all of the Bible is being taught in your church? Even the hard to understand parts or the parts that make you uncomfortable? Or is your church more concerned about how many people are attending? or that people enjoy what they hear. Today Pastor Mike will remind you that you need to be more concerned about what you are being taught in your church than be anxious about how many people attend your church or how they might be offended by what is being taught. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 2 as he begins his message, cling to the truth.
1: Not be troubled. I remember
2: 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. And this evening's message, the title is Cling to the Truth. And this is an exhortation that I think is more relevant than ever before. How we need to cling to the truth that is the truth of the gospel. Because so let me tell you something, the gospel today is being watered down and is under attack. And so it's so important that we cling to the truth of the gospel. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Little children, it is the last hour. In other words, things are coming to an end. We're living in the last days. And and again, this message is more relevant for us today than I think even than ever before because we're living in those last days. So little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists or the spirit of Antichrist has come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Once again, this evening's message, Cling to the Truth. Now, John here, in this section of his epistle, uh, reintroduces to us a theme, and if you think about it, that runs actually through the entire New Testament and we're talking about spiritual warfare. You see, as Christian people, as soon as we come into the Christian life, with all of the blessings, right, Uh, with all of God's provision, but also we become part of this mighty conflict between the forces of God and the forces of hell. And we are involved in that battle whether we like it or not. So, if that's the truth, and it is, what John does here is to try to enlighten these people that he's writing to, this would, of course, include us as well, with regard to that subject. He warns and prepares us to meet and withstand the enemy, the onslaught of the enemy, this mighty conflict between the forces of God and the forces of hell. So, what are these things? What are these exhortations that John serves up for us here in this text of Scripture? Well, the first thing, and this brings us to our first point, John tells us that we mustn't be surprised or alarmed at such a situation. In other words, expect it. Go back to our text. Notice he says in verse 18, little children, it is the last hour And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And so in other words, expect these kinds of things. You have heard it is coming. Not only is it coming, folks, it's already here. And the Bible, if you think about it, is literally full of warnings concerning the attacks of the enemy, the conditions of the world in which we live, which is antagonistic towards the commitment that we made to Christ. Uh, The conditions of the church as it exists today in its present situation and every other situation a Christian will ever find themselves in. In fact, there is nothing which so certainly tests and proves our faith as our reaction to the conditions in which we find ourselves. It really proves the reality of our Christianity, really, if you think about it. How do we respond? You know, by the attacks that come in the form of many different ways. The way that the world attacks us. The the things that are going on really inside of the church. How do we respond to these these things? Listen, if we're given to panic or despair, it's simply because we haven't read our Bibles. What am I referring to? Well, all of the warnings. I don't think there's a New Testament epistle that doesn't warn us against these kinds of attacks. If you go back, for example, to the book of Acts, all of the New Testament epistles, the first preachers, the apostles, the first preachers of the gospel, they warned the first believers. They said, you're going into a fight, a conflict. There is a mighty, subtle adversary opposed to us, and he will fight to ruin and destroy the church and your relationship with God probably one of the more familiar texts of Scripture that addresses itself to that subject of spiritual warfare is recorded first in Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 12, where there we're told by Paul, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So there you have it. So whatever your situation may be, the conditions we face, false teaching, false doctrine, what the world throws at us, the condition of the church, we must not be surprised, amazed, or shaken. Just expect it, but respond the way that God wants us to respond. Concerning the overall shape of the church, today in a sense, though it may sound paradoxical, should confirm our faith and be an assurance to us of the truth of the word of God, as it relates to the spirit of Antichrist, being present even today within the church. A couple of cross-references, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And by the way, these are all signs of the last days in which we are living. In 1 Timothy, in chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, or in the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In 2 Timothy, the next book of the Bible, in chapter 4, in verses 3 and 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to... And again, that's the reason why I've given this message the title, Cling to the Truth. Oh, how we need to, in these last days, cling to the truth. Now, that brings us to our second principle that's served up for us here by John. And that is, the church's first consideration at a time like this, the very days in which we live, the thing that we should be more concerned about than anything else is the purity of our doctrine. The purity of our doctrine. And if you go back to our text in verses 18 and 19, isn't that exactly what John is exhorting us to do? We need to be concerned about the purity of our doctrine. John's great concern here is not about the numbers of the church or that so many had left the church, but rather about the purity of our doctrine. This is the way that people draw people into the church. They preach an easy gospel. They don't mention anything about the cross. They don't mention anything about denying oneself and following in Jesus' footsteps. They don't address the subject of sin. They don't address the subject of hell. Uh, a final retribution. These are things that are absent from, their, uh, from preaching from uh, their pulpits. And so these are the things that we need to be concerned about the purity of our doctrine. We we shouldn't place a great emphasis upon the numbers of people that enter into our church or that even so many have left because they can't handle the teaching or being rebuked because of sin in their lives. These antichrists that John is referring to here were people who denied that Jesus was the Christ or the anointed one. They denied the incarnation of Christ, the incarnation of God, how that Jesus became a man, how that God became a man. They denied the doctrine of the atonement. They denied the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And so John is concerned about true doctrine, true doctrine, and that's exactly what he's talking about here in this text of Scripture. And I believe that this is of the utmost importance today in the church. Because I think too many of our decisions, too many of our interests, too many of our thinkings are centered, as I mentioned before, on numbers and size and organization. We sure like facts and figures, but the paramount issue in the church should remain the purity of its doctrine. Listen, we need to be very careful of those who tell us we have to all come together to form some kind of a coalition to fight the enemy. We need to be very careful about that. I was at a Christmas celebration at Carnegie Hall last week. A lot of Christians were there. I guess it's an annual event that had taken place over the last four years. I think it was called An Irish Christmas. And my wife and I were invited to attend with some other Calvary Chapel pastors, and Lloyd Pulley had some tickets for us, so we went out and... and uh, and there was a lot of pastors there from a lot of different denominations, and there was an intermission during the program, and we went out into the lobby area to grab something to drink, and some of the Calvary guys that I was attending with had known some of these other pastors of these different churches that were close by were their churches in proximity, and I was introduced to this one fellow, and he He talked about this coalition and how that we need to attend. In other words, what he was trying to do is get us to jump on his bandwagon. And yet they don't even preach the gospel. Later on, the pastor that I had been attending this uh, program with told me that it's a large church, but they don't even preach the gospel there. But yet he wanted us to be a part of his coalition. They were addressing some social issues in and around the area. And that's basically the the gospel that they preach is a social gospel. And it has nothing to do with Christ whatsoever. Listen, we need to be careful of those who tell us we have to all come together to form a coalition to fight the enemy. Hey, the enemy is the devil. That's who we need to fight against, right? Not social injustice. So listen, better a handful of people who believe that Jesus is the Christ than a crowd who are uncertain as to whether he is or not and who falsely use the word Christian to describe themselves. John says here, these people have gone out from you. And that doesn't matter. Listen, people come and go, right? It's been amazing over these 35 years now here in New York City, how many people have come and gone. And for the wrong reasons. I'm not talking about people who were here for a season, they lost their job, they were in for some kind of an internship or whatever for schooling, for attending one of our universities in the area, and then went back to where they had come from. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people who just couldn't bear, you know, the teaching of the Word of God. And they left. And, you know, initially we thought that they were the real deal, that they were truly Christians, that they were truly our brothers and sisters. But John refers to those certain individuals, these people have gone out from you basically what he's also suggesting here, it doesn't matter. The question is, are you who remain all right? The purity of doctrine is paramount. Gang, Jesus is the Christ. Remember, true unity can only be obtained in terms of truth. The Holy Spirit binds people together who are agreed about their doctrine. The doctrine, Jesus is Lord. He is the Son of God, God incarnate. We trust in His atoning sacrifice, dying in our place upon the cross for our sin. We trust and believe and preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we trust and yield ourselves to the work of God's Holy Spirit in and through us. This is the doctrine without which there can be no real union amongst the brethren. And that's one of the reasons why they've left. That's one of the reasons why they've gone out from amongst us. And I think that's what John is getting at here in this text of Scripture. Now, this brings us to the next point. Having thus seen that present conditions must not depress us, surprise us, also having seen that it is the purity of doctrine that matters the most... The next thing to do is, and this is our third point, examine ourselves. Notice what John says. He says, little children, it is the last time. They went out from us. But the question remains, what about us? What about you? What about me? You see, the mere fact that we claim we are Christians, as some of these people who went out from the church at one time had claimed, The mere fact that we claim we are Christians and that we belong to the church does not prove that we are Christians at all. John says once again, flat out, they went out from us. They were amongst us at one time, but he refers to them as antichrists, whom John is denouncing, and the people who believe they were within the Christian church. Now, listen, I'm not suggesting that we're always sizing people up. Are they the real deal? They're not the real deal. You know, God is going to move them out. In his perfect timing. You know, that's not our business. We'll let God take care of, of that occupation. But it's amazing. We think that, wow, you know, he's the real deal in, in Christ. These people obviously believe that those who went out from them at one time were true believers. They were within the Christian church, obviously, These people had joined the church, they had claimed to be Christians, yet John tells us they have gone out from us, proving they were not of us, though they were involved somewhat in our activities. Here were people in the church. And that begs the question, why were those people? They've gone out from us, they're not around anymore. So what was the catalyst that brought them into the church in the first place? Let me suggest a couple of possibilities. Curiosity. Maybe they heard. Maybe you were the person that brought them for the first time, and they were curious about these people and the hope that they had, the love between one another. Maybe that was the draw, the curiosity. Maybe they wanted to check it out and experience it for themselves. Or maybe it was out of habit. Maybe as children, they were raised in a certain denomination, and it was just nothing more than a habit. On Sundays, they came to church. Maybe it was sort of like a custom. Maybe it was some kind of a social thing. Maybe it had everything to do with business. And I've seen this happen before. We've talked about this before. People come into the church and they're trying to enlist you in some kind of a business transaction, some kind of a scheme or whatever. They want to enlist you in their company or whatever. These are all possible explanations. Listen, don't assume that churches that are packed are packed with Christians. Don't assume that. This moves us to examine ourselves, making sure that we are truly of the faith and truly in Christ. And the ultimate test is that we are of the church. How do I know whether I am really of the church or not? Well, listen, this is where the rubber meets the road. True Christians are those who are in a vital union With the church. This isn't a take it or leave it kind of a decision that they make. They are not loosely attached to it. It's more than just having your name on its rolls or recognizing some sort of an allegiance to it a few times a year or some special Sundays, like on the holidays they attend. They are bound by vital uh, bonds of union. In other words, they have life in them. They don't have to force themselves. Rather, they can't help themselves. They see one another as members of the same family. They're committed to one another. They're there for one another. I am bound to these people. That's their perspective. We're bound to one another. The person that you're sitting next to, in front of, and back of, that's your brother and sister in Christ. They're your people. It is an organic, vital union, and the result is that they are in true fellowship with other Christians. That validates your Christianity, whether or not you're in the church or not. They feel they understand their church family in a way they don't understand anybody else. Isn't that true? As we have this experience one with another, This intercourse, one with another, in the way that we relate to one another, they feel that the church is their home in a sense that nothing else is their home. Oh God, give us that kind of an attitude and perspective. Let us hold this place and each other in high esteem. So we ask ourselves a simple question. Where do these things that I've just mentioned come in my daily life? What exactly is the place and value of these things in my experience? Is it central? Is it vital? Or is it something that escapes me? Something I constantly have to remind myself of. The people who are not of us are living on the fringes. And there's a lot of people who attend our church, let me tell you something, that are living on the fringes. Not a lot, but some. When anything goes wrong, they're always the first to go. One of the things that really blessed me, going back to before we went over to Carnegie Hall for that Irish Christmas presentation, a bunch of us went out and had dinner, and uh, you know some of the pastors, many of which, in fact, was there. Any, there was only one uh, pastor and his wife that were from New York. They were out from Long Island. They pastor a church out in Long Island, and he's been here before, but the rest of them all live in New Jersey. There was 14 of us, counting pastors and their wives. So there were seven pastors and their wives. And we were going back and forth, and in our conversations, they had mentioned, so-and-so from your church now attends our church, and all of them were involved. All of them were engaged. All of them had made an investment. It wasn't like, oh man, thanks for giving us your leftovers, or what a bummer, man, I wish I would have stayed in New York at Harvest. They were all making great contributions now in the churches that they were attending.
1: In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be,
0: oh my. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We invite you to connect with Pastor Mike and listen to more teachings from God's Word by visiting HarvestNYC.org. At our website, you'll learn all about his ministry and the church it stems from, Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd love you to join us for worship this Sunday at 11 a.m. You can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, though, or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out the link under Resources for One Place. Just click on the earphones to listen in. You can also watch other services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. How can we be praying for you right now? Feel free to fill out the contact form at harvestnyc.org. We're honored to lift you up to the Lord in prayer. Thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House. In my father's house.